Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer, and I love all things tech, and I'm a little short on cash at the moment, but no fear, because it's time for a classic episode, and Chris Paulette and I are about to go and visit an ATM. Yes, this classic episode is all about ATMs. And I'm pretty sure I say ATM machine and pin number a billion times in this. So if that bugs you, my bad. But otherwise, enjoy this classic episode, which originally published on November 30th, 2011. They say the best things in life are free. You're such a card. <laughs> today we're Get all going. The puns out of the way early. Today, today we're going to talk about automated teller machines or ATM machines. Oh. We'll also be talking about personal identification numbers or PIN numbers. <laughs> Five people just paused the podcast so yeah. that they could write us an angry email about the redundancy there. They probably also went ahead and unsubscribed. <laughs> Possibly. Uh, yeah, but we, in case, just for you people who have those pet peeves, and I totally understand, I'm yes, not criticizing. Share th- I, I share those pet peeves. I am not criticizing. You may very well hear me say ATM machine and or pen number at least once in this podcast as a way and and not not in a way to needle you just that's i it's it's stamped in my brain that way well pen number 2 is also uh, a little bit more useful than atm machine since pen is also a pen you have your pen yeah Oh, right, right. <laughs> no, the number. Yeah, exactly. Do you have your personal identification number? So, yes, we're talking about ATMs today. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, we've had a few people ask us about how ATMs work. We assume it was all on the up and up. <laughs> Not to find out how they work so that you can exploit them. Well, um, I did find out an article about how to hack into one. Wow. Well, and that gets a little complicated. We'll talk about that, uh, why yeah, that is in the depends. case. Yeah, um, yeah, because it, it really does depend. Mm-hmm. But uh, first, let's talk about how ATMs uh, came to be. Okay. That's somewhat in dispute. Yes. Um, there, there are multiple people who are uh, inventing things that resemble what ATMs are today in different parts of the world around the same time. Mm-hmm. Although the earliest one I could find was uh, from a Mr. Luther Simjian. Yes. Who was born in Turkey. Uh, he was the son of Armenians who were, uh, sadly, his family was was uh, broken up during a, a genocide in mm-hmm. the early 20th century. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he eventually immigrated to the United States. And he came up with an idea that eventually he called the Bankmatic Automated Teller Machine. So that's where we get ATM. Mm-hmm. That's he, He's the one who came up with the term. And uh, this was around 1939. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was – it doesn't really resemble the way ATMs look and and act now. Yeah. But it was an idea of a, of an, a machine that would dispense money. Uh, and it was run for a six-month trial. Mm-hmm. At the City Bank of New York, which we now call Citibank. Yes. Uh, and uh, after the six months, the trial ended, and Citibank decided not to extend the trial, not to implement it. 
And um, at least according to one source I read, the reason behind it was that it just didn't get a lot of traction. The, yeah. the people, people just didn't want to use a machine to interact with their bank accounts. They preferred to have a person-to-person interaction in a bank. And um, apparently the people who were using it were a bunch of ne'er-do-wells. Yeah, I read about that too. Yeah, Basically, I, they, they, the idea being that the only people who would not want to talk to a teller are the people who would prefer that you didn't know they were depositing or withdrawing money in the first place. Yeah, so we're talking about people, people with ill-gotten gains. Yeah, gamblers, for example. Oh, that places, would be a good example. In places where gambling was not legal. And, um, you know, you might not want to have to answer tricky questions like, how did you come upon this sum of money, my good man? Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, so anyway, that was the first recorded Incidents I could find of someone trying to create an ATM. Uh, yes, and again, it was it was an interesting experiment that ultimately failed at that time. Yeah. Now, a lot of what I read about the early days of ATMs, um, they weren't ATMs. They didn't function like today's machines no. do. Um, in some cases, you needed a special card that wasn't actually tied to your, your bank account. In fact, a lot of them used credit cards yeah. instead. Um, for a long time, credit cards were looked down upon. Yeah. Um, but um, Some of them used special vouchers or coins, Yes, and, a and, token. Yeah, and in Britain, you had to, uh, on one of the early trials, you had to go inside and get a voucher. You would get a 10-pound voucher. So if you wanted 50 pounds, you'd have to get five vouchers that which, would you take outside of the machine. Which raises the question, why would you not just go and withdraw the money directly while you're there? Unless, of course, you just wanted the convenience of being able to get at 10 pounds at any given time in the future. And I guess that's the argument you'd have to make. Like instead of walking out of the bank with 50 pounds, which you know you may or may not need at that time, you could have uh, five 10-pound vouchers and then – as the as you go about your business throughout the coming days, you s- realize, oh, I need some more walking around money or getting about money, as I like to say. Uh, you would go and use one of those vouchers to get some more money out. But it did seem to decrease the convenience factor <laughs> of the automated teller machine somewhat. But yeah, in this case, you wouldn't need uh, a card with stuff encoded on it. You would just need your voucher to put in and then it would – spit money out. It became like a money vending machine. Yeah, yeah. In, uh, in 1968 in Britain, there was a, uh, several banks used a device um, that would use uh, a card, yeah. but not a card that you always carried with you. It basically worked like the voucher. You'd stick the card in the machine, you'd get your money out, and the machine would keep your card which is kind of a pain in the neck. Yeah, uh, it's uh, kind of what happens to you now when your machine eats your card. And uh, I've and, had that happen. Yeah, I've had that happen too. That is not a good feeling, is it? No. Um, yeah, except this time, in this case, we're talking about it doing it on purpose. Uh, yeah, so some of the other players in this space, and this mainly the real development of ATMs beyond the early 1939 example, took place in the 60s. Yes. So you had people like James Goodfellow, who uh, he secured a patent on an ATM-like machine in 1966. He also came up with the idea of storing a personal identification number on a magnetic strip that would be printed on the back of a card. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that would become the ATM card eventually. Uh, they had also John D. White, who mm-hmm. invented a freestanding automated teller machine. A lot of these other machines were built into the corner of a building. It was actually part of a, a larger structure. 
Um, this was more of a, a freestanding um, a machine. Uh, and then there's uh, John Shepard Barron, who I think – I think most sources I saw credited him as the true father of the ATM. Really? Yeah, John Shepard Barron, because he was the guy who created the first real fully electronic automated teller machine. And uh, and it, the very first one was installed in Barclays Bank in London in 1967. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but you also had Don Wetzel. Who yeah, was I thought in, you were going to say him. Now – he was working in America, and his machines started coming out around 1968, and he was known to have worked at least in part on uh, Shepard Barron's work as well. He kind of took Shepard Barron's work and then uh, changed things, like enhanced things and dropped some things and included other things. So uh, sort of used it as a launching point for his own work. So you get a lot of – conflicting information about who is really the inventor of the ATM. I think part of it depends on where you're from. If you're yeah. from England, then it's John Shepard Barron. Yeah, in, uh, in 1995, um, the National Museum of American History, the Smithsonian, recognized Wetzel um, and his company DocuTel, which was a baggage handling company, yeah. um, as the, the people who uh, created the ATM. So, I, I it's... Yeah, I guess, it, like I said, it all depends on who you ask. Sort of like television. Yeah. Or radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, it, like many other inventions, there's, um, it, the, the, sto- the real story is far more complicated than just a factoid that you'll find in a history book. Yeah. Uh, now, go uh, ahead. I, I was going to say, now, even though in the 60s, um, ATMs became a lot more common, banks started as, uh, including them as part of their services. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, the Fortune article I read by uh, Ellen Florian mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, Doris Burke and Jenny Merrow basically was saying that uh, they, they quoted a, a chemical bank uh, advertisement that said, um, on September 2nd, our bank will open at 9 o'clock and will never close again. Yeah. And that was the uh, Rockville Center branch at 10 North Village Avenue on Long Island. Yeah. The idea being that, of course, you could access your account at any time and make withdrawals or transfers or whatever without having to go into the bank. Because, of course, the reason why uh, people are coming up with this uh, in the first place was for convenience because bank hours are notoriously um, short. Yeah. <laughs> bank, that, well, people talk about bankers' hours. Yeah. Where, you know, in order to actually go and visit the bank, you might have to take time out of your work day. Yeah. In order to, you know, and then you have to go in, inside a bank and stand in line. See, for some of our listeners, this is going to sound completely foreign to them. Yeah. Because apart from maybe opening up a bank account or perhaps going in for a loan or something like that, you just don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. I mean, if you want to do the, the day-to-day stuff, depositing a check, finding out how much money you have in the bank, making withdrawal, yeah. uh, maybe even transferring money between accounts, you can do all that in an ATM. Yeah, in some cases you can do some of that through online banking as well. So, well, sure, you know, we've, we've almost completely eliminated the need to go into a physical space. Yes. Uh, but back in the day, it used to be that if you wanted to do anything to do with your money, uh, you had to go and stand in line and wait to talk to a teller and then they'd pull up your records and you'd, you'd you know, do all that in person, face to face. And actually in the 60s back when uh back when these were launching, uh, again, the people weren't flocking to them 
immediately. Uh, there were, in fact, some banks were a little skeptical that people would ever want to interact with a machine as opposed to a human. They thought that the human interaction was a key component of the banking process. Yeah. And it really wasn't until the 80s that ATMs started to truly take off. Well, uh, the Fortune article actually has a particular event that they credit with the takeoff of the ATM. And what might that be? Well, as it turns out, it took Mother Nature's involvement to spur people to use the ATM, according to them. It's not nice to fool Mother Nature. (laughs) No. Chris and I will tell you more about ATMs in just a second, but first let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. In January 1978, uh-huh. in New York, they got 17 inches of snow, which slowed business to a crawl because a lot of places couldn't open. Yep. And they said, um, again, this is citing the Fortune article, um, there was a commercial that Citibank released saying, um, you know, hey, you can use these machines anytime, whether the bank's open or not. Uh, and they, they had a new tagline, the city never sleeps. Nice. C-I-T-I. Nice. Um, And it said... um, I see what they did there. The the machine's use increased 20% during the storm. And by 1981, uh, Citibank's market share in New York City uh, deposits had doubled. And so the rest of the banks moved to catch up. And that basically started a revolution, at least in New York. Um, Of course, that's a lot of people. So that... uh, that can affect things. And people go in there and see how people are using the ATMs and they go back home. You know. Yep. Yeah. It, it, and like I said, in the 80s, it really started to take off. So I guess now we can finally start getting into what makes up an ATM and how they, how they actually work. Uh, now, part of this involves the way that we access the ATMs uh, and, and not just with the key, the keypad or the touch screen, depending upon the, the, model that you're using, Mm -hmm. but the card you have, your ATM card, whatever you're using to access the ATM. And there are variations on this, but all of them have a uh, a magnetic stripe or mag stripe (laughs) on them. And uh, you might say, well, what the heck is a magnetic stripe? Well, it's kind of what it sounds like. It's a a plastic-like film that's Mm -hmm. on the back of your card that has lots and lots and lots of tiny iron-based magnetic particles. Yes. As a matter of fact, it's very similar, if not nearly identical to, uh, the material that they used to use in uh, recording tape. Yeah, cassette tapes. Cassette tapes, reel-to-reel tapes, eight-track tapes, also uh, floppy disks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the material inside there. I mean, it's even most of them are even the same brownish color. Right, and the way you write to this strip is that you, you magnetize these little... Uh, particles. Each of the particles acts like its own bar magnet. Mm-hmm. All right, and you magnetize them to either have a north or south pole direction uh, on each particle, and so that's like bits, zeros and ones. Mm-hmm. So by creating them in a, either a north or south pole direction, uh, and then you, you you've got thousands of these right mm-hmm. in, in one strip. You can encode information that way. And that information is going to have things like 
the uh, the account number on it, mm-hmm. so that it it has you know it's able to say this card belongs to this account. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may also have the um, the pin on there, the personal identification number, right? So that you can uh, have that as sort of a, a key pass entry. You know, as long as the pin that you enter into the ATM matches the one that's on the card and in the account. As long as all three of those are are the same, then you'll be able to access your information. Mm -hmm. So that's on your card, which means, of course, that the ATM has to have some sort of card reader Mm -hmm. involved, which, you know, it's a magnetic stripe reader that, you know, depending on the style of the ATM, it may be one where you put your card in and it sucks it into the machine and you hope when your transaction's over, it'll spit it back out again. Mm-hmm. Or what I see most commonly now are the kinds where you swipe it. You either have a, a vertical swipe where you just swipe the card down the side of uh, a little reader, or you insert it into a slot and pull it back out again quickly. Yeah. And in either case, the what happens is those little magnets go past a, a detector, mm-hmm. and because the magnets are in motion, it, 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 the detector detects the difference of the magnetism on each of those little bars and can read that as whatever the information is. Yeah. So all the information that's printed on the card, um, the number that's embossed in the card and your yeah. name, the machine is not reading or looking at any of that stuff. It's taking everything from the magnetic stripe. Which is why you should not put your your credit cards or ATMs cards or anything like that near powerful magnets. Right. Because that could actually uh, realign those little magnetic particles inside the film. It, it, some people call it demagnetizing, but really it's just realigning those poles. So it, it no longer – it might spout out gibberish now when mm-hmm. you when you swipe it. Or uh, anyway, it's not going to correspond with your information, and suddenly your card doesn't work anymore. Yeah. You can also find the same thing if you've used it too much or if the magnetic stripe gets dis- uh, damaged in some way. Or dirty. Um you know, some people say that yeah. eel skin wallets. Yeah, I hear that a lot that. because, you know, and there are a lot of different theories about – actually, the theory I've heard that seems to explain it the most or it seems to be the most uh, logical to me, eel skin uh, wallets, some people claim came from electric eels and that it somehow has some sort of electric impulse still stored in it and that's what's screwing up the uh, the, the cards. Count me skeptical on that one. Exactly. Uh, but a lot of these have a magnetic clasp. Ah, yes. So that when you close it, it, it remains closed. And the magnetic clasp, depending on how your card is, well, how you're storing your card in the, the wallet, uh, the stripe might be close enough to the magnetic clasp that the magnetic clasp is, is, is realigning those magnetic particles in the film. Mm-hmm. So don't do that. <laughs> well, yeah. So once that, uh, you're, you have the uh, magnetic card reader. We yeah. talked about that, and and basically the information is going into a computer. Yeah, there's um, a very basic CPU inside every ATM, and it, in fact, a lot of them run Windows. Yeah, yeah, which we'll get to. Uh, the earlier ATMs were all proprietary. Oh yeah, you now know, that was when you, if you had uh, an account with um, bank something, you know, First National Bank, and you wanted to go to Second National Bank. You were on your own. Yeah. You have to find an ATM for, with First National Bank or you are out of luck. Yeah, because your card wouldn't work. The system wasn't compatible. Uh, however, it also meant that those ATMs had the benefit of security through obscurity. That's true. Because uh, a, a would-be thief would have to focus on a particular type of ATM 
Mm-hmm. And the the things that might work on that ATM would not necessarily work on ATMs for other banks. Yeah. So it somewhat limited the liability and the vulnerability of those machines. Once the machines started to move toward more computer-based operating systems like Linux and Windows, mm-hmm. then you opened up new opportunities for thieves to target specific parts of the ATM infrastructure and, uh, and made it, in some ways, more vulnerable than the older models. Now, I say that, but the truth is you can actually find these older model ATMs on plenty of sites like eBay, where mm-hmm. you could buy an ATM if you wanted to. And if your goal was to deconstruct, to hack this ATM so you would learn how it works, you could potentially find vulnerabilities in that system to exploit. Don't do that. It's illegal. You don't want to do that. Uh, but there, that, that is one of the downsides to the old systems, too, is that you know it's not like these things were it's not like you had to have a license to own one mm-hmm. you know you just had to buy one yeah. so you just had to find someone willing to sell one and then you could buy it so uh but yes you've got your cpu in there uh however the atm is not its own standalone um machine like it, it it's not that it's it's disconnected from the outside world no but if you if you think about it it's it's very much like the computer that sits on your desktop or laptop so you've got a screen yeah for a customer uh, for basically it's an output device. Yep. You've got a printer that prints print out receipts. your receipts. Yep. You've got an input device or maybe two. You might have a touch screen. You might have a keypad. Yeah. Uh, to type in numbers mm-hmm. or both. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully you, both for those of uh, people who have vision impairments. Right. Right. And then you also have, uh, uh, basically an internet connection. It may be uh, on a private network. Yeah. It might of be some kind. Yeah. Very, it might be a, a, a closed off private connection, but it goes to a uh, whatever bank is behind that particular ATM. Yeah, it'll have a network connection of some type to communicate with a, a server somewhere that has account information on it. Yeah. So if you have $300 in your account and you want to withdraw $20, it will say, okay, well, Jonathan's got $300, so I can give him $20. And he's withdrawn $20, so it makes... A note of that in the account, so it says now he has 280 left. Yeah, yeah. The way this works is that so you you, you can think of the uh, especially the older ATMs um, were really thin clients. Yeah, they were. They were you know the the it had essentially enough power for it to read the strip to uh, in, uh, to to allow you to input your pin mm-hmm. and to display the information. But then what it would do is it, the terminal that you're using would connect to a host processor. Mm-hmm. Now, this would be a computer that belongs to whatever financial institution, again, is owns that ATM. Mm-hmm. Now, if that's your bank, then that's pretty much where this ends. It goes, it refers to your account, make, it, it, it confirms that you, that you are who you say you are and that, at least according to your pen, and that uh, you have the funds that you require in order for you to get whatever it is you're asking. So again, like in your example, that, that you have at least $20 you can withdraw. Right. Um, and then it'll send the information back to the uh, machine that you're at and either confirm that it can dispense the cash or deny it. Mm-hmm. And then the machine does whatever it's supposed to do. Uh, if 
your bank is a different bank, then what happens is the it'll go to the host processor. The host processor will then route that request to the specific financial institution that you belong to mm-hmm. and get the permission there. And then your bank essentially will wirelessly transfer funds to the financial institution in charge of that ATM. And then that financial institution will allow the ATM to dispense cash because the money has been, you know, it's not losing money. It's had the wireless transfer from your bank. Uh, this is also why you'll find a lot of ATMs have those fees on them. Yes. The usage fees, because otherwise, you know, it's just an access thing that, you know, banks are doing out of the goodness out of their hearts. But these are bankers. Mm-hmm. We know they don't have that. Right? Oh. Bankers and lawyers, right? Oh, man. So, um, hey, I, ro- I watched the documentary A Christmas Carol. I know how this works. <laughs> uh, so, so in order to make money off of these transactions, that's why you have that usage fee because, you know, it, it's going to charge you for the whole process of having the money transferred from your financial institution to the bank. And depending upon the way that the different financial institutions operate, you might actually have multiple fees on one transaction, which is really irritating. Yeah, that's when you get the fee from the second national bank from using its ATM, and then the fee from the first national bank. For wirelessly transferring the money to second national bank. (laughs) You should have used our ATM. Yeah, that's, that's terrible. However, one of the bright sides of using ATMs is that if you're in a foreign country Mm -hmm. and you're using your card, it's automatically making the uh, the exchange, exchange, and it usually makes that exchange at a, like, you know, normally if you go into a financial institution to exchange currency from one format to another, Mm -hmm. there's a fee placed on top of that. So, yes. So you're not going to get a a perfect exchange from whatever currency you're using to whatever you need. Uh, You're going to have some of that money taken out. But usually if you're using an ATM in a foreign country, you you tend to get one of the, you you normally get a really favorable rate. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it won't be as dramatic as it would be if you were to go into some money changing place. Anyway, getting off topic here. So, uh, that's the process going on behind the scenes. Now, when the money is actually coming out, mm-hmm. how does the ATM know that it's giving you the right amount of money? Well, it has to, basically it has cassettes in there with mm-hmm. the different bills. So assuming that things are lined up correctly. Yeah, assuming that the person who's loaded the ATM has done so in the proper way. Then it should be dispensing the right number of bills. Now, it also goes by thickness. Yeah. So it should be able to tell um, if, if you are getting, say, two bills out. Right. Uh, let's say two 20s. You want $40. Um, then it should be able to go, okay, there are two. Because I, I can tell by the thickness of these bills. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you've got you've got a couple of different so- types of sensors inside the ATM. There's usually an electrical eye sensor, some sort of optical sensor that is optically verifying that the the denominations that are being dispensed match what you asked for. Yes. We have a little bit more to talk about as far as ATMs go, but before we get there, let's take another quick break to thank our sponsor. If it's supposed to be doing it one bill at a time and the thickness sensor says, wait a minute, that's too thick for it to be one bill. Right. It will send that particular bill or a pair of bills or whatever it happens to be to a reject bin mm-hmm. inside the ATM. So the ATM has has a, a bin that collects rejects. And this can also be bills that are worn or torn. 
Yes. If, uh, mm-hmm. if it detects that, then it's going to send it to the reject bin. Uh, and so the bin's just going to keep collecting bills that get rejected through this process. And uh, it's all taking just a few seconds. So, you know, you might be waiting a little bit, but thinking like, uh, whatever. Well, meanwhile, the machine is making sure that it's dispensing the right number and, and denomination of bills to you. Yeah. Um, there's also an electronic journal mm-hmm. that's part of an ATM so that it's recording every transaction that's happening with that machine. And it also records whenever any bill gets sent to the reject bin. Mm -hmm. And that way, when someone comes in to service the machine, either to refill it or to fix it or whatever, they can take a look at the journal and see, uh, you know, how frequently are, is the reject bin getting a a bill sent to it? And if it's happening a lot, that might mean that either the uh, sensors need to be adjusted Mm -hmm. or that the feeding mechanism needs to be adjusted so that it's no longer pulling more more than one bill at a time, uh, or it might mean that the actual bills that are being put into the machine are of too they're not they're not fresh enough mm-hmm. that you know that something needs to change. This one's a little stale. Yeah, exactly because too many of them are going into the the reject bin. Right. So so, so it's got built built in error correction, if you will. Yeah, it's and and some of that again is mechanical, and some of it's just saying, hey, stop putting crappy money in me <laughs> because I can't give it to anyone. Right. And the bank's like, but we don't want to give money to anyone. Yes, I know. And then they twirl their mustaches and leap <laughs> into a giant uh, vault full of gold coins, which, by the way, hurts. Yeah, I don't know how Scrooge McDuck did it. No, man. I I scratched that one off my bucket list, and then I, I also broke an arm. So not I do not recommend it. However, if you invest tuppence... Anyway, um, so yeah, uh, fat birds. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it, it is basically uh, a computer with a couple uh, special, sophisticated um, ways to handle error correction. Oh, and I also um, wanted to mention that the journal, the journal sort of serves two purposes. One, it helps keep track of what's going on with the machine, so that can you you can see the machines working correctly. Also, it provides an accounting uh, in case there's ever any dispute about what the, the machine was dispensing or whether there was a question about um, how the machine was used. And, of course, now um, uh, ATMs also usually have some kind of security camera yeah. um, nearby to, yeah, so to you watch can, that uh, people are who they say they are. Yeah, so you can match up the the time on the security camera with the time that was listed in the journal and mm-hmm. go back and review footage. Mm-hmm. Uh, if someone has, if any of you out there have ever had your card number and and pen stolen, yeah. so that someone else has accessed your account through an ATM, you realize, of course, this would be a really important feature. Uh, I'm one of those people, by the way. Yeah. Well, that's that, actually. Uh, that was real, but my bank was very good at letting me know mm-hmm, and was mm-hmm. very proactive in making sure that that got uh, fixed. So, yeah, yeah. Now that's that's true. These uh, this, these machines are sophisticated and and specialized, but they're also uh, in some ways not so sophisticated that they can't be fooled. Yeah. Or not not necessarily fooled, but um, also that other people can come along and, and take information by using devices such as skimmers. Yeah. Which can be put over the the card reader, um, and basically it is usually a very slim, uh, compact device that can read the magnetic strip on there, uh, on the card. So basically, what happens is if if a scammer has installed a skimmer on an ATM, when you put your card 
card through it, uh, both the skimmer and the ATM are reading the card number. Yeah. Now, the pin block, the, um, in the United States, federal regulations require that the pin block, which is the four-digit pin uh, information, yeah. um, must be encrypted when it's sent along. Right. So uh, to some degree... Uh, you would be protected if just your number was going through the skimmer because you would need the pin block uh, encrypted, uh, you know, and it's encrypted on the card. So right. it can't right. – uh, the machine has to decipher that. The skimmer can't do that. So what the scammers do, they will, in, they will install a very tiny camera. You know, cameras are teeny tiny these days. Yeah. You know, we've got them in our smartphones and other types of phones. Um, they're sitting on top of our laptops and, and, and computers because they're so small. Um, people can in small, in small, install a small camera right above the area where the, uh, you type in your is, number. Yeah. And then they'll, they'll record your keypad punches. And then what they'll do is they'll match the keypad punch to the information that they've skimmed off your card. And then they've got essentially your card a number and your PIN all in one place and can then access money from your account uh, at any ATM. And a lot of cases, too, they don't try to take as much as they can get. A lot of cases, um, banks that I know of here in the United States will give you a maximum amount a day, usually something like $300 yeah. per day. Um, a lot of times these scammers won't do that. They'll take out Twenty dollars. Yeah, and because, they, because the, idea, the idea being that it'd be harder to detect. Yeah. Oh well, know? I must have I must have taken out. I don't remember what I what that was, but it wasn't that much. It wasn't like somebody was scamming me. Yeah. Although if you do, if you which this by the way is why it's important for you to review your uh, your bank statements on a regular basis, uh, because you may notice that you're withdrawing money from places that you are not physically at. Yeah. Like. Los Angeles mm -hmm. or something when you're not in L.A. If you're in L.A. and you see that you've withdrawn from L.A., you may very well have been the person to have done that. I don't mean to say that any withdrawal from L.A. is obviously fraudulent. Right. People who people, people do LA, legitimately. Wait a minute. Everything's haunted. Does this mean LA. I have to drive to San Jose if I want to withdraw money? Yes, that is what I meant. Um, there are some some people working on newer types of uh, verification technology. Yeah, I saw one they're trying out in Poland, which is uh, using biometrics. They do a scan of your finger, and they don't use your fingerprint. They're looking at the veins in your finger, which is pretty smart because again, fingerprints you can lift a fingerprint and you can fake fingerprint readers. It. The more sophisticated the detection d uh, device, the less likely someone's going to go through all the trouble to um, to fool it because it is a lot of – I mean it takes a lot of investment just to get the stuff to to be able to fool these devices. But yeah, if you want to you – know, fingerprint is not foolproof because you could lift a print off of something and then create a latex print uh, and uh, fool some machines using that. We've seen that happen before. Um, there's also, uh, I know you mentioned the the cameras, but we should also mention some uh, some skimmers will also use a fake keypad. Ah, uh, yes, which, that's true. Which or is, an overlay. Yeah, which is a, essentially a key logger that's logging up uh, pin entries. So if you ever walk up to an ATM and and it looks like parts of the machine don't match up exactly, like the, the it's just a different coloration or made out of a different material and it just looks a little odd. That's a warning sign. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that a skimmer has hit that machine. It may just be that that particular machine was manufactured in an odd way. But anything that looks a little out of place should be a big red flag to you. And uh, and I would highly recommend that if 
you do notice something when you walk up to an ATM uh, that's like that, that you find a different one. Don't use that one. Yeah, and, and keep in mind where it is, too. The more isolated ATMs are more likely to be the ones that uh, scammers are going to target because they'll be easier to modify. Yeah, because um, this stuff takes a little bit of time and effort, and you, if you're doing it in a high-traffic area, someone's going to notice. Yeah, like, for example, uh, the, the ATMs that you might see in a popular gas station um, are a whole lot likely, a whole lot more likely to be okay because... If a cashier is standing right across from it all day long, it's unlikely that uh, a scammer is going to have the uh, the time to install those devices without getting caught doing yeah. it. Or hey, place, what are you doing? Or something like a busy airport, yeah, where there's yeah. a lot of security already there. I mean, it's just it's such a it would be such a high risk endeavor that it would uh, you know you look at risk versus reward from a thief standpoint, yeah. it'd be less likely to be hit. That's not saying that some enterprising thief hasn't no, tried it. No, no, but uh, but it's less likely. Yeah, well, in fact, we've had a we had a rash here in uh, the Atlanta area not terribly long ago where people were. Knocking over ATMs with their cars and just taking the or ATM. Or forklifts or bulldozers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Basically also, because it's easier to, to crowbar your way into one than, than bother trying to uh, we didn't mention that decode the software. Part of the ATM is it's a safe. Yeah. You know, it's there's a safe that's inside these machines. That's where all the money is kept, in a vault, in a safe, in the machine. So if you were to take the whole machine, you're taking the vault. Now... Before before any of you say, hey, I'm going to go on a life of crime and start knocking over ATM machines, uh, ATMs, oh. I knew, I told you at the beginning of the show that it was going to happen. I caught myself, but I told you it was going to happen. Um, a lot of these have uh, things inside the vault that if uh, if stuff goes wrong, yeah. it will ruin the money inside there. <laughs> like essentially little, little explosive charges usually. Mm. Some of them have... Um, Explosive charges full of gas, uh, so that if if a thief is trying to use a gas explosion to uh, to open the vault, that it actually has gas that counteracts the explosive gas, rendering it inert. So in that in that case, it's not necessarily destroying the money inside; it's just trying to destroy the the methodology that the thief is using to get the vault open. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's some other tech involved here that's kind of interesting. Um, now. I use ATMs. I mean, I I, yeah. I I try to be careful about it, and I try to keep a good eye on making sure that whatever device I'm using looks, you know, totally legit and everything. Uh, it's it, it's uh, so I'm not saying that ATMs are so dangerous that no one should use them, but it does bear repeating that you should be vigilant and pay attention when you come up to an ATM. Don't just you know walk up and ignore all. Uh, 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 all safety, especially you know, not just the machine itself, but you know, it's always good to take a quick look around you to make sure you're not going to be uh, mugged. <laughs> I've never been mugged. I don't want it to happen. I'm going to try and keep that streak going. Uh, but yeah, that's that's one of those things. Is that you know, banks often would tell customers to you know certain follow certain safety guidelines and, and be alert when you're using those machines and you know make sure you have your card ready before you go up to one and uh, and and uh, you know don't don't linger don't count your money as you're uh, until the dealing's done I guess <laughs> um, 
But don't count your money right there at the machine. You know, don't give thieves the opportunity to pounce on you uh, in that in those cases. Now, of course, if you're in a nice busy street and there's a lot of people around, you're probably in better shape than uh, you know talk about in the middle of the night after you've gone clubbing all night long and you need that cash because you're about to go to that all night uh, pancake house uh, that only accepts cash. You know, just. Bear in mind your surroundings and the situation and yeah. be careful. Yes. Also, it never hurts to uh, try to cover your hand when you're typing in your pin. Yeah. Because um, even if you don't see the little camera, it is possible that it may be one somewhere around. So right. So it, it's just a uh, good habit to get into. Oh, it makes it really hard to type in your pin correctly, I've found. Um, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Plus, you just got to use one like I do. Zero, 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 zero. It just goes right through. One, two, three, four. <laughs> That's what I use on my luggage. Um yeah, the, uh, there, there is one exception. I mean, with all the, the, um, uh, thousands of these machines that are, there are everywhere in the world, um, I, I know it is likely that, um, the more remote machines are the ones that would be targeted by scammers. However, if you find yourself at the McMurdo station in Antarctica and you use the ATM there, it's probably not been hacked. No, but I it can't only, guarantee that. It only dispenses frozen herring. Yeah. And that wraps up that classic episode of Tech Stuff. Hope you guys weren't suffering from withdrawal. Get it? Because of ATMs? I'm sorry. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, We will be talking about all new technology in the next episode, so make sure you stay tuned for that. And if you have suggestions for future episodes, well, just get in touch with me. Let me know what you think. You can visit our website. It's at techstuffpodcast.com, and that has all the different ways to get in touch with us. Don't forget to visit our merchandise store over at tpublic.com slash techstuff. Every purchase you make goes to help the show. We've got lots of cool designs over there, so go check that out. And I'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.